0: All right, so we are talking about revolution. We're talking about what it means to come together against a shared threat and what that actually looks like in practice. Um, Of course, most of it being an intellectual exercise in the form of a podcast, but we have to start somewhere. And for me, the place that we usually start is the way that we think. So let's think through it. We were talking before we started recording about this idea that there's so much bad shit happening in the world all at once that we want to do something about but the moment that we want to do something about it there are all of these like hurdles in the way or there are all of these things in the way these barriers that keep us from actually acting um, a lot of them have to do with propaganda a lot of them have to do with the ways that we're conditioned and socialized to you know move through discourse and protests and stuff like that but um, ultimately it keeps us running in circles. And so it feels like nothing ever gets done. We just keep protesting. We just keep um, writing letters. We just keep posting things and then nothing ever changes. And then people get tired, people get worn out. And so, I don't know, one of the places where I want to start is just like, how do we stoke the fire to get people invested in the first place? And then like, we can just go from there. <laughs>
1: I was going to ask if you wanted to talk about the astral things of Taurus and Scorpio happening right now and yeah, just in the process, in process of happening.
0: Yeah, totally. So basically the main opposition that I'm looking at right now is Mars and Taurus and Venus and Scorpio. We have Mars and Taurus at the end of the year. So Taurus is interacting with the latter half of the Zodiac. It just normally wouldn't do that. So to actually have a real time opposition that isn't a full moon across Taurus and Scorpio is really unique. And then to have it actually be Venus and Mars, like, like literally wearing each other's clothes. Mars is in Venus's sign, Venus is in Mars's sign. That's really significant. So I'm emphasizing that because the nature of these two placements is really relational. And the most relational aspect of it is Mars is about autonomy and separation. So this is where I end and where I begin, this is where you end, where you begin. And Venus on the other side of saying, this is how we relate, this is how we're connected, this is how we're intertwined. So the main thing I've been saying just on a loop is what is the thing that brings us together? What are the things that keep us separate? How do we maintain relationship and maintain our differences at the same time. And I feel like this is something that's really hard to do just because the way that relationships, we've been conditioned in our relationships is that we need to be on the same page, have the same values, have the same ideas, have the same identity, have the same, 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 same so same to where we've morphed into um, an individual person and we're not allowed to have differences. We're not allowed to care about separate things. And we're also not allowed to speak up about the things that we experience as an individual that is different from the people that we're in relationship with. To bring it back down into, I guess, a more common thread, the, the way that you disrupt a norm is by speaking up against it in the first place. Like, you have to say something. You have to admit that you feel different than the other person. And that that doesn't mean that you have to write this person off or like cast each other out or immediately just disregard each other and separate because you have a disagreement or because someone feels differently. But how can you use that difference as fuel to actually create a new Venus? As my friend Elias said on the last podcast, like how can we use our differences to say, actually, I don't agree with that. Or actually, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't feel good for me. And then say, what can we do instead so that we can actually maintain this relationship and actually like see each other in all of our humanity instead of just saying, well, I feel this way and you feel that way. So fuck you, I'm going to go in the other direction. That's like the really high level way that i'm describing this moment in time and we have six months of mars and taurus we've already done three or four so we've got three or four more to go and a lot of that really is coming together to disrupt the status quo disrupt the norms disrupt the ways that people think that we're connected that are actually really erasing our differences
2: oh you just so nailed it and As you were saying that, I was thinking about how we are feeling those difficulties within this revolution um, when people have these absolute ideas that are so rigid. For example, in the West, we've been fighting for, you know, women's rights to wear hijab and not experience discrimination in doing that. You know, just recently in India, women were you know protesting in order to be able to wear hijab and because we're so conditioned to fight for this thing um it's almost impossible for us to validate the women of iran who are being oppressed using that very thing that is a freedom for another group of people right so um in us deciding that the correct thing to do is to fight for women's rights to wear hijab, we are alienating all the women in Iran who don't want to, and they are being forced to. Uh, And we are saying, well, that's, that goes against all the things that I believe in and all the things that I'm fighting with. So I'm going to censor you because you don't align with my idea of how you know an, a Muslim woman should present themselves, and that's also what we're seeing. You know, a lot of Muslim countries are uh, are not supporting us because they're they're framing this as as a religious issue, which it is not. Because if it was actually uh, uh, an Islamic republic and Islam was taught we would have the right to choose because nothing in Islam is compulsory. Um, And to relate this to politics or to religion is really a disservice to the revolution that is happening um, right now in Iran because people are just saying, I I should be able to choose how um, to express my religion. And maybe I, I, I don't even believe in God. Or maybe I want to be of the Jewish faith, or maybe I want to be of the Baha'i faith, or maybe I want to be the indigenous you know, faith of Iran, which is Zartosht, you know? So why do we not have the right to choose? And why is this such a um, polarizing issue for Islamic countries, which most of which you have the right to choose? You have the right to choose whether or not you want to wear a hijab. So why is it that we don't want that same right for the women of Iran?
1: So I have multiple thoughts happening at the same time. <laughs> so I'm gonna try to um, to make them make sense together. I think the first, the initial question that you asked when it was a, the just the general question of like, what, is, what does it take to, like, what is a revolution? What does it take to achieve it, stoke it? And the first thing that um, came to mind was the, like, for our organizing, which is under I know which is a branch of the Hawaiian Patriotic League. Uh, we've always described it as like, in terms of shifting consciousness, political consciousness, and just bringing awareness about the political eco-history um, of the Hawaiian kingdom and what's going on today. I think our job is just to do popular education and drama, street drama and art displays and community talks and things like that, that if you if you get it, you get it. If it resonates, it resonates. If you feel inspired to go take this reenactment script from 1895, go take it to your community, go take it to your school, to your classroom and do it, then, then good. But, you know, we're just basically being ourselves and doing what feels like the right thing to do, what we understand and know and are convicted about is the right thing to do. And, you know, everybody else can catch up I mean, there's good things and bad things about that, I guess, or like there's negative and positive about that um, approach. I think that it's a little trickier because that, you know, before we were recording like that thing about um, having to put your tiredness, your grief, all the weary feelings to the side because the moment is urgent like it's really rare that it feels like collectively here anyway that there's a sense of urgency i think it's like one of the reasons why i feel interested in sidereal astrology and just the specific you know divination for liberation framework is like what is the time like at what time are we going to be primed to like what can we do to prepare for whatever time is going to come How? how how distinctly can we see it maybe in the future um, so that we can you know find ways to prepare ourselves um, for when that opening is going to come that like you know we're ready to burn something down <laughs> or, um, so, you know just looking for an opening where it feels like something's really gonna shift and I feel like in some ways 2019 like planted a lot of seeds that needed to be planted but then it's like okay so we are we still tending to those seeds are people feeling dormant stagnant not sure what to do um have people i mean you know then all the lockdown started and so now people are feeling defeated or down and now we're kind of like back to this place of people just want to go back to whatever their definition of normal was and i'm not sure if people i'm not sure how many people were like really radicalized by seeing all this death and loss i personally am having a hard time like figuring out what it takes to to nurture that energy that people were feeling how do we cultivate that so that we don't lose momentum and we don't end up in a place where like like some really significant shit is going down in iran but when you look around why are we not as activated? <laughs> like, why are we not seeing the the moment for what it is? And like, I don't know if it's a, I don't think it's a lack of courage necessarily, like maybe it is, but it's just what is in the way of people getting excited about like, capitalism is actually crumbling. The patriarchy is atrocious <laughs> like, and everybody's over it. But like, Still not over it quite enough. Like, we still just in survival mode and we still just want to feel like a sense of normality. Like, we just want something that felt familiar now. And we're not really focused on like that, those moments where we had a glimpse of what the future really could be. Freedom is not freedom is not eating out at restaurants. And I don't know why people are more excited to go party and go concerts than to. I don't know. Like, why can't we get ten? Like, we got ten thousand people in the streets a few years ago for Mauna kea Like, why can't we get ten thousand people in the streets right now for Iran for independence for recognizing that people want freedom, not just freedom from U.S. militarism and you know hegemony in this region, but like freedom to determine what kind of world we actually want to live in, what kind of relationships we actually want to build. And I just I can get real down real easy, (laughs) like feeling like we're not thinking sovereign and we're not living sovereign because otherwise there would be mass unrest. Everybody always says the natives are restless, but, you know, repressed a little bit (laughs) like in the restlessness because it's turned inward and, and it's hard to figure out how to be strategic about turning it outward.
0: Well, I think like what you just said, though, the part about it's repressed. I was literally going to talk about Saturn and Capricorn. Um, you asked, you know, what happened to the flames from 2019? We had so much Sagittarius between 2017 and 2019 and then 2019 into 2020, we had, I think we had five eclipses across Gemini and Sagittarius, but most of them were in Sagittarius and we ended the year with a massive stellium. That's three or more planets in Sagittarius, the fiery contagion of conviction, right? As we used to call it, that got snuffed out immediately by the Capricorn stellium that followed right after Saturn in its own sign, Jupiter was there, Mars was there, and that created the lockdowns. It's easy for people to get hyped up about stuff that I like to call as emotional junk food, right? It feels really good in the moment. It's really satisfying and exciting in the moment of let's go to this, you know, concert, let's go to this spectacle, and just be like wowed by this performance. Oh my gosh, like the seduction of that. And it's easy for people to be so mesmerized and then kind of lulled back into their repression of wanting that instead of actually sitting the, sitting down for a minute and looking at what's actually going on and recognizing that none of this is what we need. None of this is actually nourishing or nurturing us on a soul level. It's just depleting us on a daily basis. You know, Capricorn, speaking as a Capricorn person myself, it's not, it's not, it's the antithesis of getting fired up. It's the antithesis of actually like joy and pleasure and all of the things that we try to numb out on. It's really like, look at this shit. This sucks. Like when are you actually going to feel the impact of how much this sucks and let that be something that moves you to change it. But the issue with Capricorn is that, you know, it's really easy to feel like the way that things are is the way that they're going to be forever and I'm powerless to change. And it's not true, it's a story, but I think the, the weight of how big the issues feel, it gets people down to that place where they feel like they can't do anything. How do you, how do you move somebody out of that?
2: Uh, as you were speaking, I was thinking about Hamed Esmalian um, who lost both his wife and his child in the Ukraine fight, which the Iran shut down. Um, before this revolution ever happened, he has been on this quest of getting justice for her. He was a regular man, a dentist, and he was on a quest to find justice for his family because their family literally got on the plane to come home and, uh, the regime shot down the plane. So, One could say, you know, when M was speaking about, you know, the ebbs and flows of people being so invested, like it took him over a year because, you know, that happened in 2020. It took him over a year um, to get to a place where, you know, his activism was being picked up on a grander scale. And had he not continued or had felt you know, hopeless or, you know, just like, oh, nobody cares, right? Because at that moment, the government didn't care. They, didn't, they weren't really, they were giving him the lip service. Whereas now he can summon 80, 100,000 people in Berlin on the same day he summons 50,000 people in Toronto and 30,000 people in Vancouver and Los Angeles. You know, that power came from the consistency of his activism. To the point where people are like, this person is really about what he says he's about. It's not just in this moment that suddenly this has picked up. It's even when he nobody was listening. So it's like once we are awake, there is always a period of time where you're screaming into the abyss of trying to wake everybody else up. Which is, I think, what a lot of Iranians are doing right now is because uh, we have the perspective of, you know, having lived in it. Iranian society and then having lived in uh, societies in the global north, right? Um, and we're able to put together the pieces of the puzzle that we're not that far away here in America or Canada from wh- what, where they're at in, in Iran. The tool of our oppression may not be a hijab, but there are multiple tools of oppression that we can point out and in ways where our identity is you know, weaponized against us. And I also think, you know, when Em was speaking about just that fire, um, you're going to go through ebbs and flows. And I think the way that we need to start thinking as a global community is like every single time that anywhere in the world, people are fighting for climate issues, they're fighting, fighting for land back, they're fighting for indigenous issues like missing and murdered indigenous women. Like we, can put those pieces together and say, hey, this is our fight too. This relates to our fight, right? And and in taking up like the energy from another region of the world and magnifying it in, in our geography and attaching our movement to each other in those moments, right? Like for example, Black Lives Matter, the central point was police brutality right which is exactly right now one of the central points of this revolution is police brutality right that was something that i think the rest of the world was able to say hey this happens to me too in my country so let's let's stand in solidarity with with everyone in the states i think that's really what needs to happen is we need to look at each other's fights as our own fight and we need to find those common threads Of saying hey this is how i may not be able to fully understand your perspective i may not fully be able to understand your fight but i'm going to spend the time first of all to educate myself and i think that's really really important like not being in this mindset of like my struggle takes up all the space and therefore i have no capacity to care about somebody else's struggle. Our struggles have so many common threads and our power truly does come from us standing together. And that is why those identities are being weaponized against us because it's much easier to control us that way. We need that unity. We need to understand that like, if life for black people was better, life for all of us will be better. If life for indigenous people is better, life for all of us will be better those system of oppression trickles down. So when we fight for the people that are at the bottom of the hierarchy in capitalism, because it is a hierarchy, we have to be really conscious and ask ourselves in in a truthful manner, am I fighting for freedom or am I fighting for privilege? Am I just trying to rank a little bit higher on that hierarchy, be closer to whiteness, be closer to power? closer to resources right the colonization mindset or am i truly saying that i believe that every single person deserves to be free and and what are the the actions that have to follow through that statement because what we're seeing right now is the global north has abandoned the the first female-led revolution And the women of Iran aren't just fighting for for themselves because this sets a precedence. If this government, when this regime is overthrown, this sets a, a precedent in the entire world that you can take down the patriarchy. And that is the most powerful thing that we can have. You know, we say representation matters. Seeing ourselves do the thing that we're saying we need to do matters. And that's why it is so harrowing to see like the erasure of feminism in this moment, Um, just because, you know, it doesn't center the West or it doesn't center white women. You know, we fantasize, I think we were talking earlier when Em was saying, you fantasize about how to change the world. I think it's something that we all do. I think we have to be a little bit more flexible in, in our imagination. It might not always just happen the way that we imagine it. The rah-rah story we've made up in our head, which like, you know, you, I remember growing up, everyone always said, you know, if I was alive during the time of the Nazis, I would like stick it to the Nazis and I would do this and I would do that. Well, okay, so now it's happening. Now, are you that person that you thought you were? Are you standing up to the Nazis, which is now in this uh, symbolic manner, it's the regime, you know, or it is any source of oppression that the moment that people are demanding their basic human rights, their lives are in danger. The very, very things that we enjoy and we don't really even think about, like going in the street and kissing the person that you love. Doing that is an act of revolution right now in Iran you know, wearing whatever you want and not letting some man or some system or the state tell you otherwise. You know, like we weren't even allowed to enjoy a sports. There, there, was a, there was a girl that she let, lit herself on fire on the court steps because she was caught in a stadium. Somebody told on her, they said, that's a girl right there. And I don't even have to tell you the, the horrific things that happen when you are arrested in Iran as a political prisoner. And when I say political, I, the reason I do the air quotes is because these are poets, these are every, everyday people. They're not just activists, they are artists, they're musicians, they're filmmakers who are telling the truth, who are, who are a reflection of their society and uh, that, that they live in. Are we listening to the truth? Do we want to live in the truth and not everybody has that capacity to live in the truth they might say that they do they might say that's what they're fighting for but really they still if it came down to it they're going to pick going to the club or you know still going showing up to their nine to five like given that their their compatriots are are striking or they're causing civil disobedience
1: I was thinking that, um you know, if, if the question is, how do you cultivate well, I forget how you phrased it now, but how do you um get people to feel invested or passionate about whatever is the movement? just in general, like it's really hard to be in relationships all kinds of relationships and realize i don't know just have that i'm thinking like saturn return crap because my saturn is in sagittarius Um, but like that whole that whole thing of like sometimes you have those really shitty moments of realizing like oh this thing that i believe that i thought you also believed only one of us is sincere actually and so you know, like how you were saying earlier of like having these moments of like, I got to cut you out. (laughs) I got to unfollow you. I got to, we got to not be having conversations about stuff that matters because, you know, there's stuff to do and you're not, you're not here with me. So I'm going to go or you could go (laughs) or whatever you can catch up (laughs) doors open, but, um, but just figuring out what People believe in why, like what is a person's actual hierarchy of priorities? And how do you manage the, the differences while still doing this larger task, which is like cultivating the consistency, like how you brought up? There's always going to be up and down days, there's always or years <laughs> or decades, you know, in the struggle, like broadly. Um, but cultivating consistency is a big part of how you even end up having, you know, what could be considered, you know, successes. But um, I feel like the ability to cultivate consistency is either number one, you actually sincere about what you believe and you're consistent because that your your conviction is what's driving you. For people who that's really not the top priority, you know, constantly thinking and doing um, based on their sincerely held beliefs. like how else do you cultivate consistency? Like, I mean, obviously that only really happens in inside of the relationships. Like how do you create consistency if you don't have the support network, like the emotional material support network um, to take care of just everyday survival needs, let alone anything else. Like people are constantly craving community and connection and, you know, genuine, genuine relationship and reciprocity. And yet like, why is it so freaking hard to find, you know, people treat belonging or um, yeah, just, I guess, belonging in general, I could say, like, just always treat those things as conditional. Um, like, you have to conform. I mean, speaking of the Taurus Scorpio things, like, if you're not, if you're not doing exactly this in this particular way, like, you don't fit and you're going to be whatever rejected ostracized it's going to be it's going to be weird for you i just feel like cultivating consistency in the movement to where people feel invested long term it's it feels like an undue burden on people who are just like who have major sad shit. <laughs> i guess maybe um like feel like they're carrying it and then you know how do you build all the other supports that help people who you know maybe are not are not of that same mind frame like they can find where they fit in the movement in their own way but that's only possible if you know you actually have a support network you actually have community that is like meeting all the various kinds of needs that you need (laughs) to have met like that's how i mean this is why like the whole capitalism patriarchy thing is so fucking frustrating is because patriarchy 101 capitalism 101 imperialism 101 like you destroy the family systems you would destroy the community systems because when there's no support then you in this individualism mindset and all you know all the cascading things so you know how do you survive i mean it's the same old questions that we're always asking like how do you survive in a system that is destroying you and the complete antithesis of everything that you need and want as a human being And then also work to change it because you're already exhausted because you're busy surviving. I think that the legacy of diplomacy and the vision that leadership in the Hawaiian Kingdom was displaying in terms of like global relationship building, um, I feel like that really is the best example that I've ever come across that was in practice not perfect, but was in practice like an example of the kind of world that at least the three of us, I assume, <laughs> um, educated guests assume are invested in. Decentering the West, decentering the way that all of their definitions for who can be at the table and what capacity, who has power and who doesn't, what kinds of power do certain people have over others, like all of that kind of stratified just politicking that the West does, you know, with the whole family of nations um, dynamic, the diplomatic vision in the, you know, mid to late 1800s was really like, how do we, as a government, as Huanquina government, like how do we create political, economic, social, all kinds of relationships how do we create those relationships with people who don't necessarily who aren't necessarily a part of the family of nations in the european you know in the european sense but who nevertheless have um there's value in being in in equal relationship with them that vision that like we don't need to rely on a massive military because we can't because little tiny island in the middle of the pacific at the height of you know, European and American colonialism, like the most powerful thing that we can rely on is the adeptness at relationship building. And I feel like on some level in the face of all the powerlessness of the feelings of powerlessness and the grief, you know, politically for virtually every country on Earth. The thing that this moment in history is calling on us to do is to not focus on government and government institutions and all other kinds of institutions as the the way, the defining way that we're gonna make change and move forward and build power. But like, how do we bring everybody up together and rely on ourselves and rely on each other in ways that we can't necessarily rely on institutions? In terms of thinking like, thinking like a country and like living, how you're saying, like making choices every day for how to be, um, how to practice freedom or how to, um, how to, I hate to say this, like be the change you want to see, but like in terms of doing that, like how, how can we do that kind of like grassroots diplomacy for an issue like what's happening in Iran right now? How can we, be in a mode of like defending, defending passionately and like being sincere in our, you know, our beliefs about freedom and justice and righteousness and community and all these things like how do we, you know, within our power, like how do we defend Iranian independence in the same way with the same fervor and conviction that we like defend Hawaiian kingdom independence and assert that, that sovereignty, like if our, thriving, if our survival and thriving depends on each other, then, you know, how do we bypass the people who are in the way so that we can actually get to each other? Because, you know, the powers that be are not in solidarity with us. The powers that be are in solidarity with their power, (laughs) with one another. Um, The best tool at our disposal is relationship building, because violence isn't always going to work. I am personally an advocate of violence. (laughs) strategic violence um but it's not the you know it's not the panacea because we're not trying to become the oppressors but um people tune out as soon as you say revolution because they have all their you know conceptions about what that is and however that triggers them um and they think that revolution means everybody's going to take up arms and there's all going to be you know whatever chaos and pandemonium but what are the barriers to people like actually just using the word revolution or talking about revolution is there another word that they prefer like what do they i don't know what are people's definitions of revolution and like how do how do we just be comfortable talking about that and envisioning that in a way that doesn't like people can not feel threatened by it and instead like feel empowered and feel like they're part of part of something major that is meaningful and beautiful and potentializing like why do people shut down when you talk about revolution
2: I think that's something that we really have to unpack because like just because something isn't beautiful doesn't mean it's not vital you know what I mean we have to like get away from like um the mindset of something is good or bad we are the ones that are projecting that onto something right so that's part of our conditioning, the way that they're making us feel about revolution. That's why we feel hopeless, because we are conditioned to feel that way. We're, because we're not, we are the most powerful, right? And you touched on a, a lot of really great points that I wanna address. Like one being, you know, finding your community and finding community that you it cannot be a singular thing. Like you need other people in order to create momentum, right? At the beginning of, or the middle of September, when um, Masa Gina Amini was, you know, apprehended by the the morality police, beaten to the point that she passed away, she was murdered, Um, I was in Toronto, and I was in Toronto for work, and the person that I was sharing my space with didn't really understand the gravity of what was happening and i just didn't feel safe in that space and i knew instantly my actually my grandmother came to my dream and said go home and i felt like my i could feel my mom grieving and i was grieving and we were so far away and i felt like i need to go and be near someone who understands you know what's happening and then to take that even further, it's like, I, I, we, I started this revolution mobilizing with a certain group of people and those group of that group of people, like, you know, people deal with trauma in different ways. This is re-traumatizing for so many people, because this has literally happened so many times, so many times we've gotten our hopes tied into the revolution is happening and change is coming. And then it's been squashed. People have died, people have lost their lives, people have lost family members, family members have been detained, friends have been detained, you know, uh, as political prisoners. So I had to let go of every single person who wasn't nurturing to the spirit that I was feeling in that moment, which is I knew I, if I were to go down the path of grieving, I am not gonna be any good to this revolution because then I'm just focusing on myself and the, the entire, and I'm just centering myself, my grief, where now it's like to the group of activists that I'm working with now, uh, the we call ourselves the Iran action, like in our little group chat, it's just in a group chat, like you know, we don't have a website, we're not promoting anything, um, you know, it's just, mobilization instantly we're updating each other within the hour of what's going on. Okay. So how do we solve this? Oh, they're going to cause, do a full on blackout in Iran. Um, you know, basically blackout of, of the internet and phone lines across the entire country and execute 15,000 people. How do we stop it? Okay. You're a lawyer. You're going to write the script. I'm going to find all the press, uh, you know, emails. I'm going to use people, uh, you know, in my network to be able to push this out you know, and every single person in this network is vital for what we're doing and having that be a solution. And it took me saying no to a lot of people or, or or taking my energy away and, and, and guarding my energy. And for, for a lot of moments, feeling incredibly alone in this, um, of being like, okay, like, And not knowing, and not knowing exactly how I wanted to, um, you know, contribute. How, How can my activism contribute to what's going on? How can my voice contribute to the grander voice? Because also at the end of the day, we see in moments of revolution or civil unrest, people that get, you know, put on a pedestal or propped up suddenly come to this idea that it's about them. And that's the mindset that we need to get away from. That's the mindset that, that got us here in the first place. I think that we need to change our perspective of how we look at revolution, not the word revolution, because then it's like we're doing that thing where it's like, oh, OK, so if I point if I fight for the women of Iran, then I'm going to be considered an Islamophobe. It's like that kind of like tethering or that kind of like Dancing or, or, or you know walking on eggshells of not saying the truth when really we're saying we're fighting for the truth. We're awakening people to the truth and the truth isn't pretty. Revolution isn't supposed to be pretty. It's not always handing out fla- like you know flowery moments of you know oh I'm giving a flower to you know the military person putting it in their gun and it's this like impact moment that I think the West really loves is that performance. Right. The performance of a revolution versus what the revolution really is, which is, you know, my friends like making hundreds of Molotov cocktails every day and going out in the street and fighting next to each other. That it might it might have to come down to that. My, my people don't have guns. At least, you know, we, we talk about Ukraine, the war in Ukraine within within a few days everybody mobilized millions of dollars got sent there and hundreds of thousands of ammunition and guns so both sides at least it's a fair fight they're fighting each other with guns in iran that's not the case we're fighting with rocks we're fighting with rods we're fighting with like homemade uh weapons and i reject the, the notion you know we we talked about it a lot of like you know, in, in, in police brutality, people always say, well, what did you do to provoke the police? No, fuck that. Fuck that. You know what I mean? Like, we, we, we can't take the, um, the, you know, the focus away from the oppressor who is, in, in, you know, inflicting the violence and say, you responding with violence is fighting fire with fire. There is always blood with re- in revolution, and that is something that we're going to have to accept. We're going to have to accept and come to the truth that if we want things to change, there are going to be people who have to lay their lives on 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 the line. Are we willing to do that? We peaceful protesting like you were saying, we can go every single day to the beach with our signs. We can go every single day into the streets with our signs, but it's always within the escalation that change happens. It's always within the stepping out of our comfort zone and what we, we know we, to have always done or the bl- blueprint that we've always followed. That's when the real change happens. And that's when we have to have those f- sobering conversations. You know, would I be the person that's hiding, you know, in my house with the lights off? Or would I be the person that is standing you know, shoulder to shoulder with my people and saying, I got your back and you got my back. You know, and having that trust amongst your people because that's all, all we're gonna have. Nobody is coming to save us. Like, you know, the, the election being now is a perfect example. Like the election has become a ritual. What happens in the world and the fate of the world is not decided, you know, in, in emotions and bills it is decided in the underworld on the things that aren't brought to the public's uh, public's attention, or at the same time, some element of distraction is brought in. You know, I find it uh, quite convenient that when, you know, it's announced that 15,000 protesters are going to be sentenced to death at the same time, a group like women's March, democratic party backed, comes out and, 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 gives platform to a regime apologists, people who are lobbying on behalf of the regime. How can you be the voice of this revolution and spend all this time making the regime palatable to the West? And then you have women telling you, thousands and thousands of women telling you in your comments, this person does not represent our our voice and it, you first turn off the comments, you limit them, and then you erase the comments altogether, another form of censorship, all in the name of women's march, all in the name of women's empowerment. How, is, how are you any different than the, the Islamic regime? When, when we tell, you know, El, uh, Elika Laban said it so perfectly, When we tell the regime this is what we want they tell us no this is how it's going to be so how is women's march any different when the iranian people say this person doesn't represent our movement and you still amplify that voice that doesn't represent it you are just like the regime you are censoring us you are censoring the will of the people and I think that's also another frustrating aspect of activism is that you can have everybody on the same page. All it takes is one person within your own community to come and disrupt and set back your movement by, again, centering themselves and their own agenda. I think that, you know, being careful in these moments is really, really important. Because we're not trying to replace one oppressor with a more palatable oppressor. We're not going for reform. We're going for revolution. Complete revolution. And we want to uplift the voice of the youth. Because at the end of the day, they are the ones who are going to inherit the earth who are gonna be left with all the chaos that is going to ensue from the global North, North's inability to bypass the propaganda. And I wanna also point out that there is a difference between how Iranians view um, world politics and how people in the West view world politics. And it's in the, the fact that in Iran, You grow up knowing that you are being fed propaganda at every corner. Everything on TV is propaganda. Every single advertisement is propaganda. You know, you grow up with with an absolute knowledge of what uh, the appearance of what I'm being told is not the reality. And I feel like that's not how things are in North America because people still believe in the system. They still believe that there's, you know, voting for the Democrats are gonna save us or voting for the Republicans are gonna save us and ha- still having this binary mindset of one or the other. And that's why we go through these periods where we have four years of one and then four years of other and, and nothing really actually changes because it, we're just performing democracy. Mm-hmm. We're not asking for proof Where is the proof of this democracy which you speak of? Just because we go to an election doesn't necessarily mean that we are actually participating in democracy. Because go to Iran, we have elections too, but it's a sham.
0: This part about magnifying the commonalities of the struggle, right? Like being able to see, and this is going way back to something a few points ago, but I'll try to tie this all together, like magnifying the commonalities of the struggle and being able to look at someone else and say, oh, okay, you're going through the same thing that I'm going through. And literally what you're speaking about, like the way that the West and especially in the US think that we have free speech, we're allowed to say whatever we want, right? And then, the reality of that being anybody can say whatever they want. And so nobody really knows what the truth is. So nobody really knows even what the reality is because nobody, there's not a clear distinction of, okay, this is propaganda and this is what we're actually experiencing. It's just all muddied. One thing that's coming up for me is, at least from the perspective of someone who lives in the US, like there are plenty of people who are struggling in similar ways to people in Iran and people in, you know, people in Hawaii, people all over the world, right? This collective struggle of, you know, being in a system where you have to sell your labor to survive and where you have to sell your time to survive and how there's, you know, it's designed in a way that keeps you from actually thinking about revolution. How then, do you get people who are so in survival mode, like to the point that they can't afford, they don't have time to think. They don't have time to even look around. They don't have time to ask questions. They don't have time to feel their own misery because their sense of urgency is tied to their housing or is tied to their food, right? Rather than tied to a movement that's happening somewhere, you know, on an oceans away that, you know, not only can you not see right in front of you, but you also like, Is actively being censored and erased. I know there are a lot of people listening who feel that way, right? Like, well, how am I supposed to have time to organize or to even build relationships whenever I can't even eat, you know? Like, how am I, how am I supposed to, to protect and guard my energy, as you're saying, whenever every single day I don't have any energy because I've had to work, you know, three different jobs and, you know, I'm taking care of all of these children, you know, right? Just amplifying really the, the struggles of people who live in more privileged—what am I trying to say? People who live somewhere where the urgency isn't right in front of them, in the way that it's happening over there. I'm imagining it being really hard to even get to a place where you can consider the possibility of revolution because you've not—you've e- not even been able to breathe. You can't even keep your head above water. Like, what do you? What do you? What do you do? I know. I know someone's going to be listening and feel like kind of the shame of the shame of like, well, I don't know how to participate in my own revolution. Like, I don't know how to step up. I don't even know what to do for myself, you know, not as a way of centering the self, but if this is a shared struggle that I'm not the only person struggling in this way, what what do we do to contribute?
2: That's actually like such a really good point because the system is designed for that to happen exactly like you know we have studies that tell us we only have four hours of productivity per day right but why is it that our shift is eight hours or longer right so that we don't when we do come home we have to pick between our immediate survival and our long-term survival but my my the question i pose like back to the audience who are feeling that way is like where has focusing on self gotten us like for these many years that we are trying to survive, right? Where has just surviving gotten us? And just like saying, oh my, I have so much on my plate, um, you know, on a personal level that I have no space for seeing the bigger picture of how that that plays out in my community. Because like you said, there's, people within your community that are feeling exactly the same way as you are, but you are like the, the suffering of that is isolation, you know, because we feel this shame of even telling somebody, Hey, I'm not, I'm I'm not in a place financially that I'm even surviving. There's days where we have to prioritize whether we eat or we pay our rent. Right. So it's like, okay. So if this uh, mindset is just, putting us in a loop of going around in a circle of just like trying to survive, trying to survive, trying to survive, where, how is that going to get us to freedom? Um, And how we, and that, that answer can be different for everybody else. Like, how can I, right? Not abandon what I have to do in order to survive on a day-to-day basis. But I also think about how that's going to create a, a better future for me how am i gonna step out of these circumstances that have that have been created because of the systems that i'm in and the only answer to that is disruption you know like i think both of us were really hopeful that you know when the big resignation was happening or when covid like when people were being forced to go back to their jobs when it was still unsafe right why why are we so, okay with betraying ourselves and, and saying like okay at the end of the day I'm just going to go and do the thing that is that I that the, I've been indoctrinated and told is the safe thing to do in order for me to survive what if from the beginning when we were born the idea of attaining money or resources didn't come from work you know what I mean what if our, the job our job wasn't tied into how we make money. What what if that concept was never introduced? Would we think differently? Would we be acquiring money for, in different ways? W- would there be more of a community system of how we use our resources? If somebody cooks for everybody and if somebody is good at something that they can contribute to the community as a whole. And I think that's when you see those moments within activism and grassroots, like Em was talking about, is you know, when you are mobilizing, you're together, you break bread together. Like, we're actually seeing in universities where they're, they're, you know, the activism is happening, the, it's the you know, ground zero of the activism are the universities. And, and they're, they're still making time in the midst of a revolution to put down a cloth on the ground and everybody sits around and breaks bread together. And I think there's something really, really powerful about that. Like when we eat at home, most of the time we're eating alone. What would change in our lives if we didn't eat alone? If somebody picked up the phone and says, hey, I'm cooking food tonight, do you wanna come over? And then just that tiny bit of action was was done more and more on a grander scale. Like, oh, I just went grocery shopping. I'm gonna make something. I'm gonna call a few of my friends to come over. And then that and that ends up not being a, a one-sided thing. That becomes a thing. Okay, this week, uh, well, there's one day that I'm cooking. Next week, you're cooking. You know, or, or, or encouraging, you know, knowing that someone's going through a heavy time. and picking up the phone. You know, not putting the onus on somebody who's going through something to co- reach out to you and say, hey, I'm, I'm going through it. Because we're, we're, we're in a society that completely shames us from that, from asking for help, or shames us in ev- any way that we try to help other. Like, you know, there's just so many rules right now of like, this is how you're a good activist. This is how you're a good neighbor. This is how you're a good person. And it's just like, but wait, like you... I think if you go far enough in one direction and far enough in another direction, you're going to meet at the exact same place. So regardless of how you're framing your intentions, at the end of the day, is what you are doing cultivating community? Is it cultivating that spirit of we are interconnected or are you contributing to your own isolation as well?
0: And I just uh, briefly I appreciate what you said to tie together back with the opposition between just Taurus and Scorpio in general taking the planets out like it literally is when you ask the question. Or whenever you talk about all of these rules and all of these things that get in the way of us connecting like are you are you following these rules on the Taurus side that say that you have to do this, and you have to do this, and if you don't do this we shame you for it because you're not being a good insert identity insert label whatever and the way that that does alienate and isolate us from being in community with people who are doing the same thing that we're trying to do but in a different way right and so rather than alienating ourselves from each other or self-isolating as you're speaking it's really like okay how can i recognize that maybe what i have to offer isn't what a quote good so-and-so would do but i do have to offer this are you going to take it or not and also recognizing too that this piece of isolation that you're speaking about, I feel like is is the thing that feels so hard to overcome because of the ways we've been indoctrinated to believe that we should be self again the Taurus aspect we should be self sufficient, we should be able to take care of ourselves. We should be able to do XYZ says who whose rules are those who says literally and that's the part where I feel like. When we own less than 2% of the wealth of the world yeah exactly and it's like no these things aren't that simple but it really it really does start with like you have to consider that what we've been doing has gotten us nowhere like you said like we're really we're really running in circles and it feels like an uphill battle to try to get someone to even see their own struggle of do you realize that you're not like that survival is supposed to be a shared burden like do you realize that it's fucked up that we have to rely on ourselves and fucking spin in circles doing all of these different jobs just to provide for one person while in the meantime like people who do have time and money and privileges and resources are blowing it on traveling to places that they don't live to exploit other countries or that they're blowing it on concerts or that they're blowing it on All of these experiences, these individualized experiences of momentary joy, the emotional junk food, instead of actually reaching out and saying like, like you said, hey, I'm cooking dinner, do you want to come over and like making the point to reach out as well. So it's, it's both sides of like, okay, are you the person who is alienating other people because they aren't behaving in a way that you think they should be behaving based on someone's rules who aren't your own. And then is it also like, are you also removing yourself from being able to receive help because you feel the shame of not being able to step up in the way that the rules tell you to do? Like, it's just this constant orbit around this, about around somebody else's fucking rules that you never consented to. So really getting in the mode of just, just even in your own mind, what we talk about with Aquarius, right? Where Saturn is going to be next year, like in your own mind, can you decolonize the idea that you're supposed to be doing it alone? Or that you're supposed to be doing whatever they said you're supposed to be doing because who said so? Who said that you have to occupy, you have to have your mind occupied with somebody else's ideas of what it means to survive? Like for me, that's where it starts because I feel like that in and of itself, as small as it seems, is such a such a big thing that a lot of people can't and don't do. Not that they can't do, but that so many people don't do that does keep us from actually seeing our own struggle. We're just dissociated because, well, this is the way that things are. So this is the way that they're always going to be. No, actually, it's, it doesn't have to always be that way. Like, it has to start somewhere, even if that's just changing your mind. And that's just something that I always stand by, but I do have Saturn in Aquarius, so easier said than done always.
1: You brought up the question of, um, you know,
0: well, who said, and
1: also like, maybe more importantly, like. What do they have to gain by me believing and enforcing this thing over myself and other people? Like, how is it helping somebody else get power over me? <laughs> I was thinking while you were talking e, about how just in general, like long term risk assessment, threat assessment for this species is hard at a biological <laughs> level, evolutionary level. like. This is why we can't get it together collectively to do anything about climate change because for the people who matter like their island nations are not underwater like engineers will save them like just doesn't matter it's not at their doorstep and so they don't care and even if it is at their doorstep they'll have some backdoor action plan. Um, to where they just don't ever have to be accountable for um, dealing with reality or the implications of their decisions. Um, that idea yeah. that, especially if you're in survival mode and just your your body, your nervous system, everything is activated to you know mm-hmm. pay rent, find childcare, all that kind of stuff. Like even more so the long term assessments is hard to get into to where you can like even shake yourself out for a moment out of the idea that like i don't have what i need to get these basic things done let me just focus on myself because i can't handle it makes me think about the the thing that came up i don't know a couple days ago i don't remember if you said this winter but just that whole thing of like people not wanting to admit the truth about the fact that like you're in an abusive relationship with everything around you everyone and everything around you including yourself and so when it comes to like embracing political societal truths like we can't even tell ourselves the truth right like <laughs> we can't even admit that wow there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of coercion in this relationship with my mother <laughs> like there's a lot of shame in this relationship with my employer they you know what whatever the relationship is like you know people think that telling the truth about their victimhood is them you know identifying as a victim and that's not very empowering and self-helpy of you like <laughs> pull yourself up from your bootstraps just just think positive thoughts and patriarchy will float away it won't have any power over you because you are the creator of your own reality and here we are, can't agree on what the shared reality is, let alone the shared threats. And so even more so, we cannot assess what the the threat is. We can't assess the threat of climate change appropriately and respond appropriately. We can't assess the threat of police brutality and capitalism and all the things. And so, (laughs) okay, I guess we'll just, I guess we'll just keep spinning in circles, but it's just, the theme of like shame and like the desire to conform and be a part to, of whatever you've decided or not decided because no free will, but whatever you've decided is the thing that, um, that will give you a sense of safety and power and control, or you know, what have you, whatever it is that you desire. You know, that's the thing that's driving people's decision making and like shaping their relationship to the idea of revolution or like what they could do differently to not be experiencing all the individualism and all the you know the toxic (laughs) experiences within that kind of culture like like it sounds to me like the same kind of um isolation and shame like fear around admitting like I have long COVID and I actually I can't string a coherent thought together and you know I'm barely hanging on like people don't people are not willing to admit openly and honestly that they're not okay because covid let alone not okay because capitalism because abusive relationships because you know whatever the long list of things is and just like discerning like where you're actually going to get genuine security from like it's it's hard to figure out what what that is and how to get it because because Taurus <laughs> uh, because the shame and the coercion and the self-abandonment so that you can stay in the perceived safety of like the status quo the group you know group think all the norms or whatever the expectations are I just don't like it <laughs> I just don't like it but then the other thing I was thinking too is that you know, regarding this question of how do you get people who are already under so much pressure and weight of the way that the way that the world is, um, to care or be invested in the revolution, basically in you know, being in solidarity and the struggle like the work that our specific um group, E, that that we've done like that work is really really is like creating opportunities for people to like be in their bodies you can be in survival mode you can have a lot of you know you can be carrying basically like the the emotional trauma in your body in your everyday interactions and like not know what to do with it you can be you know struggling to make it to survive to get to the next paycheck to you know parent your kids like all of this stuff you can be in that survival mode and have all these feelings and things happening below the surface but like unless you get an opportunity to like feel that all the way through like there's just not going to be um there's not going to be any hope for you to like get down with the revolution <laughs> if you like if there's never any opportunity for you to like actually feel your feelings in a way that's obviously you know safe and constructive and 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 productive but like getting people in their body and creating that sense of safety is the thing that is moving people out of survival mode and into imagining and um, envisioning and embodying to the extent possible like what it is that you actually want and you know you're doing that through being in you know that creative mode um like growing food growing your own food like reclaiming space um historic spaces i mean this is also like a little bit context dependent for hawaii like because of occupation because of the way that um you know streets and places um across all the islands have been like so many places have been renamed um schools have been renamed after american presidents like you know all of all of this erasure has happened over the last you know 130 years and you know so reclaiming space like is literally putting your body in a space of of historic importance of cultural importance and remembering the names of the people who are of that place remembering the name of that that I know specifically, like that that land or that water space, like specifically, like it's a kind of bittersweet moment of like the grief, like, like when you're reclaiming space, like being in the grief of like what actually happened and allowing yourself to feel that, but feel it in the container of everybody came here to show up to remember together. And in that way of grieving together and like celebrating honestly together that nobody forgot, like somebody Somebody generations ago, like remembered, remembered, remembered enough so that as erasures were happening, like there's something that people could come back to. And so just that reclaiming space is is a way of putting yourself back in your body and being able to grieve together and be in ceremony together in a way that it's cathartic, but also builds, like it doesn't leave people hanging in like wallowing um, in the depths with no support. And also like certain kinds of things of activities like like workshops or. Um, or work days like clearing weeds like repairing rock walls like all of these kinds of things that you can see, like, even if you only have one hour, you can see a material immediate impact and change and feel like you contributed to that thing and so like having those kinds of opportunities is one of the like most important ways to get people to be in their bodies and be in a space where like they can envision they have like a little glimpse or a little taste of like what it could be like to build a community of shared values and focus and like this this can be one glimpse of the future one glimpse of the revolution of you know life being different like have those little pockets of memories and it's like our one friend teacher assists, um, Havane Rios, like she talks about how, you know, each time that we're learning a chant or practicing um, a chant that maybe new, like maybe somebody, you know, maybe somebody wrote that chant um, a couple years ago, a decade ago, 20 years ago, or maybe they wrote it 500 years ago. You being in a space to, like first recognize where you are at in your body like before you chant, note where the pain is, note where the grief is, note whatever is whatever is stored up and not moving. Um, if you're feeling depleted, you know, just take a note of how you feel. And then after you do the practice chanting whatever these words are that are maybe old, maybe new, but plenty of people have put their voices onto that same chant that you're doing in that moment. And so when you actually chant, when you actually vibrate your whole vocal cords and your whole body, like take note of how you felt after and remember that for next time, that you feel off center, you feel out of your power, you feel like the walls is closing in, like those kinds of things. You wanna give yourself as many moments to chant, whatever the specific chant is for your, for your moment and Remember so that next time shit goes down, you feel a little bit more ready um, and you feel a little bit more clear about your power in that situation, like whatever comes up, you have that banked into your nervous system, basically through practice, through like trying to be consistent in that. And so I just in terms of I mean, just bringing it back around, like the whole thing of getting people invested in the revolution and feeling like they can actually contribute, even in their own exhaustion, you know, own exhaustion and um, suffering under these systems like. You gotta find ways to like bring those opportunities to people to experience just a glimpse of the future, like almost like a glimpse of the future through the past right because like doing doing any kind of. Ceremony, cultural practice, like even like the, you know, the thing that you're talking about of of, you know, the 40 days of grieving in Iran, like having those spaces for people to hold each other and feel like I really can trust that that these people have my back like that just seems like the one of the main building blocks for how we're actually going to manage to shift the the overall tone and movement of, of people toward, you know, these things that we want for justice.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Uh, you know, you mentioned ritual, cause I think that's really, really important. And I want to also say that like activism takes a lot of energy, but it also gives you energy. I remember in Toronto, I was, you know, standing amongst 50,000 of my people, um, chanting, And that was like the first moment since I immigrated, you know, to the West that I felt like I, I belonged. And I think that sense of belonging really comes from our, our communities and doing those shared things of, okay, what is the mission you were talking about? Okay. We were all clear on the mission and that is why you, everything was moving with such flow. And with such consistency and in synchronicity with synergy, you know, all these things that are like really, really important for, you know, pushing a movement forward. And I think that if we make activism into a type of ritual, um, just like we do self care, just like we do meditation, just like we do exercising and taking care of our body, then we're gonna see a lot more of a ripple effect and impact um, where our mental health isn't just um, reliant on what we do on ourselves; It's also reliant of how we fit in with community.
1: Yeah, and the the other thing I'm thinking is, you know, the kind of like guerrilla gorilla warfare tactic of, you know, somebody goes in, fuck some shit up, and it gets out so the next guy can get in and fuck some shit up. Um, but the idea of like putting somebody into political office for like a year so they can fuck some shit up and then get right back out and like have a whole, like people who are progressive um, or more radical in their politics to just like, don't try to become a career politician. Like, get in co- to go do the job, and then get right back out because this is this how we're gonna move the thing. And same thing, like for any other kind of you know struggle that comes up or issue that comes up that gotta get dealt with. Like, how do you like how do you organize in shifts so that everybody doesn't have to feel like they gotta be the CEO of some nonprofit organization and run themselves ragged, you know, to carry a whole. A whole operation or a whole movement by themselves or you know all that kind of stuff like who has who has capacity and resources for xyz when and where so that we don't we don't overburden each other and so that we don't burn out in the work because you know it's going to be lifetimes with the civil rights movement and all these actions the bus boycotts and like people watching each other's kids and people like finding ways to get to work that's you know, people being creative and resourceful, like you know how you know the kind of the 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 traumas on top of traumas in the fifties and the sixties, like in the U.S., like people were people were exhausted and afraid for them for their lives every freaking day. You know, same same in any other place where the government is despotic, like, but they did it and then and then of course the FBI and COINTELPRO and then they you know all the things that again destroy relationships and sense of safety and trust among comu- among you know people and community but like but it worked cuz otherwise they wouldn't be trying to co-opt and you know disrupt the grassroots like shit does work we just we, can we work it <laughs> like so we can get free maybe that'd be great
2: totally And I also think I use this example a lot in music of like everybody wants to be the superstar, but there's this like entire ecosystem of people that is necessary for one person to become the superstar. And we need to kind of come to that um, realization of, you know, sometimes we wanna be that CEO leader of a revolution, but that's not our part to play. And being honest with ourselves of what we can contribute and what is needed of us. I think everybody would like to think of themselves as i'm capable of being the leader but sometimes the the, you know every movement uh, you know too many leaders in the in in a movement and it actually destabilizes the movement because then egos get involved what like There is just as much nobility in being uh, one of the people who makes things happen (laughs) than being the leader and both things are equally important. You can't have a a leader is not going to be, you know, uh, effective without people that are going to amplify that those directions right? And, and then and vice versa, a bunch of people who are not really organizing or doesn't don't have a unified mission or a unified voice aren't going to make as much impact. So I think we need to start seeing each other as like our relationship as symbiotic and not hierarchical. You know what I mean? We are a web. Like even if you are a leader in the revolution, you are, what you say is not any more or less significant than the people who are enabling you to be in that position. And our interconnectedness like really comes into play again of us realizing, okay, we are part of a chain. We are part of an ecosystem. We are part of, you know, a a grander picture and I have to do my job. And the next person has to do their job. And the next person has to do their job for the entire picture, like the puzzle pieces to fit in. And it is only in all of us doing our jobs that the end result of revolution happens. A singular person is not going to cause a revolution. And I think that's what we need to reconcile. We can't be the hero of the story. So let's take our ego out of it.
0: What's really nice about the way this conversation has unfolded is, you know, we started talking about Mars and Venus, right? Being relational tools um mars representing how we're different venus representing how we're the same and how you need both and the whole reason you know that we've come to this conclusion at this point is that you know the point is not to shame each other for our differences and the point is not to praise each other for our commonalities but the point is to recognize like what is my contribution what is my role and what can be expected of me not based on some obscure arbitrary set of rules and expectations that someone else has imposed onto me, but rather because of who I am, because of my who I am as an individual person, because of what I am capable of myself in my uniqueness, in my individuality, what can I contribute to the whole? What can I contribute to the group? How can I belong because of who I am and not have to self-abandon different aspects of myself in order to be a part of the group or in order to survive really? And what I love about what both of you have said is that there's really there's really this component of needing to be able to see yourself, not center yourself, but to see yourself in the struggle, but to be able to see yourself through feeling your own body, like through doing things that bring you in connection with other people's bodies to really amplify the human nervous system in the sense that we're all connected and to get grounded in that way, to feel your own struggle in the first place and to be able to feel other people's struggle and like co-passion in that way. And then at the and then on the other side of that, to be able to accurately see yourself what you are capable of, what you can contribute instead of trying to do the most, instead of trying to be everything to everybody, instead of trying to fit yourself or mold yourself into this image of all of the things projected onto you, like actually being able to see who you are and how you can fit into this larger movement, into the collective into the collective spirit of community and relationship. You know, if if we want to give it a definition or whatever, like what I'm hearing us say is that the revolution itself is not so much this specific thing of burn it all down, overthrow the government. But it's really the revolution is relationship, like actually rebuilding all of the things that colonialism has stolen from us, rebuilding all of the things that have been erased, like reclaiming our right to exist and reclaiming our own humanity really because to me that sounds more revolutionary than just the act of of burning down material things like yes that is a component of it and that's what gets us there but we need the we need the manpower we need the human power we need the collective energy and action and support and and intimacy to even trust each other to to revolt in the first place cuz how do i know you know, if you wanna get into the mutable aspect of it, like how do I know that we're all revolting for the same reason? How do I know that you don't wanna just be the next person to step up and be the dictator, the authoritarian with all of the power, all of the access and the toys? How do I know you're really doing this for us? How do I know that when I send you in for your year to go do the thing that you're actually going to be in service of us? We have to build that relationship first and we have to build that accountability first. Are you with us or are you with yourself? and
2: utilizing us and using us, you know, for your personal gain, because that is also something that we see. And I think, you know, you touched on something that sparked um, a thought in my mind when you said, we need each other. And the perfect example of that I can see right now is we're being silenced, Iranians and activists are being silenced on Instagram and Facebook. And even with the shadow banning, we're making things go viral because the community is so strong that the second that someone tags, you know, hashtag Massa Amini, hashtag Iran revolution, everybody, doesn't matter whether we know that person or not, everybody is going ham and everybody is passing along to their networks. And that's where the real power is, because no matter what the system at play is trying to do, which is suppress us, censor us, you know, hold us down essentially to continue to be oppressed we are overcoming that and the only thing that is overcoming that is community and mobilization within community and not necessarily even like knowing that person intimately like you know what i mean is like you say i'm identifying that you and i by checking the receipts right you go to someone's page and you see okay over the last two months you've been loud you know, we're united in this. Okay, I don't have to know you on a personal level to care about you, you know? And I think uh, also taking that away because a lot of times things that are unfamiliar to us, we, see, we try not to get close to it. Yeah. It, it, it shouldn't matter, you know, if, if you are an Iranian in Berlin, if you're an Iranian in, uh, you know, Iran, or you are an ally. If your voice is amplifying the mission, which is, you know, something M was talking about is being coordinated on the mission, then you are my kin and I've got your back. And how we go about holding ourselves accountable, for example, you know, the people in Iran, no matter how oppressed they are, when it came down to it, you know, uh, you know, showing solidarity with Lebanon they went into the streets they risked their own lives uh showing solidarity with Palestine they went into the streets risked their own lives showing solidarity with Black Lives Matter went into the street because they saw their own struggle within that so now that where where is the system of also accountability of like okay you showed up for me I'm going to show up for you Right. So it, it when so when right now the, 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 the thing in the in the center of our minds is like the revolution in Iran. OK, well, tomorrow that's that might not be the center of my it'll be, you know, Hawaiian self realization or you know, decolonization of Hawaii. Well, guess what? You showed up for the Iranian people. The Iranian people are showing up for you, you know, and having those checks and balances in place. It's not about shame. It's about listening as friends. It starts with interpersonal relationships, like you said. When your friend comes to you and says, "You're not showing up for me in a way that I need you to," you can either go into your feelings and feel ashamed, let the shame take over you, or you can really hear the person and make the adjustment necessary. And really, that's love.
0: I mean, that's literally it. And that's and that that piece right there that you just that you just landed on of when someone tells you that they need you or that they have a need and you hear what they say and you take it as a personal attack on your character, like that's you centering yourself. That's something I've really had to work on personally because I have Leo placements, (laughs) but it's really like, okay, can you hear that this person is asking you for something specific and give that to them, regardless of how you feel they are perceiving you or whatever, like there is so much remedy in giving someone what they ask for. There's so much remedy in like hearing what someone has to say, setting your shame, your pride, your ego, whatever it is aside, and just saying, okay, I will do this for you because I love you, because I care about you, because I want to be in relationship and community with you. Like, it's not about how this, how the way you presented this thing made me feel. It's not about how whatever this, might say about me or how this makes me look it's just not about me like you've been saying from the beginning it's really like what is it that my people need from me right now or what is it that these people need from me right now because at the end of the day we are all connected and being able to i mean that's like some relationship 101 shit like if you really want to talk about um how to build trust it really is like can i bring you something that's going to make you feel uncomfortable And you be able to hear the truth in that and see the truth of what we need in this relationship dynamic in order to thrive together instead of creating this divisive moment where your feelings are making you feel uncomfortable about the thing that you just heard. And so somebody, please call my feelings like, no, can you hear what someone is telling you that they need right now in the urgency of this moment and show up?
2: And the next level of that being you prompting that. You know, I think there's a lot of people that don't know in a moment, okay, like, I don't know how to show up for you. Ask. You know what I mean? So you not knowing cannot be the reason where you alienate somebody that you supposedly love, right? So we can, uh, when someone's coming to you and having a vulnerable moment, regardless of whether it's a critique of you or not, you need to appreciate that vulnerable moment that someone is like trusting you to give you. And then the next step of awareness I think is you not even waiting for someone to come to you and you prompting it being like I can see that you're suffering. How can I ease your suffering?
0: Attunement as they call it. <laughs> Cuz that's what we're trying to get to in all of this and it takes a lot. I mean, I feel like we've demonstrated that just in this conversation like you know, I know both of you separately, but y'all don't know each other and to come into a group dynamic of like this person who's practically a stranger, but you know that you have shared suffering right and you know that we all have a common enemy. And it's not about well, this is my fight, and this is what i'm trying to do like blah 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 it's like no how how am I actually showing up for myself by showing up for you. And listening to you and getting to know you and taking the time to hear what you have to say without being divisive or combative or defensive or whatever it may be I and mean, just listening. Because that's a really hard thing to do and it does take time and it can be uncomfortable, but it's worth it in the end for the, the sense of camaraderie and, and community that you have after that. I think that's really powerful energy, so.
2: Absolutely. And I just want to thank you know both of you. Um, the reason I am here is because of both of you creating that um, space where I feel like, okay, I'm safe here and I can be heard. I, I can't sit here and within a few hours, um, transfer the information of my entire experience to someone else, right? But what we can do is, you know, like you said at the beginning, finding those commonalities creating space and then creating solutions because i find that us in the west we intellectualize and philosophize things to death you know now what is the, the the next step in you know taking everything that we're talking about and actually putting it in practice every day if tomorrow m is saying this is of urgency you know in hawaii this is of urgency right now. Now we have a network in place of being able to send that urgency down the line regardless of geography. Mm -hmm. Or if I say my people are, uh, you know, within the next few days, 15,000 people could be executed. Where that incites a a sense of urgency regardless of how much information has been exchanged if understanding like if E is in a panic, And if she's going on social media and saying, please, you know, our lives depend on you giving a fuck about us. And having that not just be a thing, a post that we click by and saying, that is the moment and saying E, how can I help? Or I'm saying M, how can I help? I see something posted, right? We, We know our leaders are doing a climate change bullshit uh, you know, sham conference uh, uh, sponsored by uh, you know a soda drink that is co- contributing to the detriment of our planet. You know, so it's like we, we, are, we are being told in front of our eyes that we are not going to do anything for you. So it is up to me. It is up to you. And it's up to you and our reach within our community to say, you know what? no matter what we've got going on this is of the most urgency right now let's all mobilize and I really appreciate the role that you have both played in that for me uh, you know on a personal level and for my community as a whole over these last two months you know being able to have vulnerable moments and and be held uh, you know not just within my own community but within you know, communities that we have a shared struggle.
1: I think one one thing that um, you reminded me of is that I forget the document. It's a Haitian documentarian who did a, a the four part documentary of um, exterminate all the brutes. Like he's basically tracing the history of of European colonialism in like one of the undercurrents of that whole um, documentary, he's talking about how we don't like the problem isn't that people don't know enough, everybody already has enough information, we already know how, how bad things are, how bad things were, we already we know as much as we need to know. The problem of dealing with colonialism and the, you know, the impact and ongoing impacts of it is really an issue of like, people needing to come to terms with the implication of what you already know, because you can add more and more information on top of information all day long, um, it's not going to change the very, the simple core fact that everybody's aware of. And so like getting people to sit with what they already know, like people don't need to become experts in Iranian history, like they already they know enough to know that there's people in the streets, and there's people on death row. and that's that's enough. That's enough. Like we already know. We know that we don't need to name all the dozens of countries that the United States has overthrown and participated in coups, Hawaiian Kingdom included. Like we don't need to know every single one to know that this is what they fucking do. We can know that we're not about that. We can. Can we be sincere about the fact that we are not down for that shit and then act like it? Because again, fifteen thousand people are on death row.
2: I'm snapping on mute. Thank you so much for that. Like that is really, it really, really hit home. We have enough information. Now it's the time to act. And, you know, right now we're circulating a letter to, you know, countries, all countries, we're adding more and more countries every day that it, it targets your government, it targets your journalists, it targets, uh, you know, the human rights organizations and members of the UN to to really reiterate that this is a moment of life and death. And it's not a moment of wait and see because Iranian people are screaming, we've been here before, we've been killed before, our government has committed genocide against us before. Believe us when we tell you this is what's coming.
0: Period, okay. Thank y'all so much for everything that you've shared. Thank you for your input thank you for the conversation and if you are listening thank you for listening share this with somebody that's all you have to do that's like the bare minimum just share it with somebody say hey listen to this and repost it and that's all we need from you today bye